Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Thank you for standing by. This is the conference operator. Welcome to the second quarter 2020 earnings conference call for Canadian Utilities Limited. As a reminder, all participants are in listen-only mode and the conference is being recorded. After the presentation, there will be an opportunity to ask questions. To join the question queue, you may press star then 1 on your telephone keypad. Should you need assistance during the conference call, you may signal an operator by pressing star and 0. I would now like to turn the conference over to Mr. Miles Dugan, Director, Investor Relations and External Disclosure. Please go ahead, Mr. Dugan. Thank you, Anastasia, and good morning, everyone. We're pleased you could join us for our second quarter conference call. With me today is President and Chief Executive Officer Siegfried Keeper and Executive Vice President and Chief Financial Officer Dennis DeChamplain. Siegfried and Dennis will begin today with some opening comments on recent company developments and our financial results. Following their prepared remarks, we will take questions from the investment community. Please note that a replay of the conference call and a transcript will be available on our website at canadianutilities.com and can be found in the investors section under the heading events and presentations. I'd like to remind you all that our remarks today will include forward-looking statements that are subject to important risks and uncertainties. For more information on these risks and uncertainties, please see the reports filed by Canadian Utilities with Canadian Securities Regulators. And finally, I'd also like to point out that during this presentation, we may refer to certain non-GAAP measures, such as adjusted earnings, adjusted earnings per share, funds generated by operations, and capital investment. These measures do not have any standardized meeting under IFRS, IFRS, and as a result, they may not be comparable to similar measures presented in other entities. And now I'll turn the call over to Siegfried for his opening remarks. Thank you, Miles, and, and good morning, everyone. Uh, thank all, I thank all of you very much for joining us this morning on our second quarter 2020 conference call. Uh, I will ask Dennis to give you the second quarter financial highlights in just a minute, but I wanted to take a, a moment to begin by talking about a couple of our most recent business transactions. On June 22nd, we announced Luma Energy. This limited liability corporation was selected by the Puerto Rico Public-Private Partnership Authority to modernize and operate Puerto Rico's electric transmission and distribution system over a term of 15 years. Luma is a newly formed company owned 50% by Canadian Utilities and 50% by Quanta Services. Luma combines Canadian Utilities' world-class utility operations and customer service expertise with Quanta's superior utility services and project execution capabilities. This O&M contract is an innovative arrangement that sees the local jurisdiction continue to own the utility assets while benefiting from the expertise of a world-class operator. <clears throat> the opportunity fits with Canadian Utilities' growth strategy in the U.S. and Latin America and allows us to bring our core competencies of operational excellence and exceptional customer service for the benefit of Puerto Rico. We won against some of North America's and the world's largest utility providers, and we look forward to complementing our world-class energy, energy solutions with the experience of the employees of Puerto Rico's Electric Power Authority, or PREPA as it's referred to. Together, we can provide Puerto Rico with a modern, resilient electric system that will support the broader economic development of the island. Luma is headquartered in San Juan, Puerto Rico, and is in the process of relocating a team to the island. Luma is being led by Canadian Utilities' former managing director of our global electricity business unit, Wayne Stensby. As Luma's president and CEO, Wayne will <coughs> and his team will oversee planning for the full transfer of the PREPA transfer transmission and distribution operations to Luma. 
This transition is expected to occur over the next 10 to 12 months. We provided contract information in our second quarter 2020 MDNA, and I recommend that information to you. Now, I'd like to provide an update on Canadian utilities operations in relation to the COVID-19 pandemic and the slowing global economic activity. Now, the pandemic and slowdown in economic activity did not have a material impact on Canadian utilities' adjusted earnings in the first half of 2020. Canadian Utilities' pandemic response plan was activated in February 2020 by our Crisis Management Committee. And since then, our teams across the globe have been responding to the ever-changing situation to ensure a coordinated approach across our company with the safety of our people, customers, and communities we serve as our top priority. Now, as a provider of utility and energy infrastructure services around the world, we remain focused on continuing to deliver reliable service to our customers. We implemented several enhanced health and hygiene protocols and alternative work options for employees where possible, such as working from home. I'm proud to share with you that our employees have stepped up in this challenging time and have performed in an exemplary fashion. As you're aware, our capital investment is targeted in our utilities and in our long-term contracted energy infrastructure. We continue to review our 2020 capital investment plan in order to incorporate any potential postponement of capital projects over the near term due to customer project delays or changes to capital projects that are directly assigned to us by the ISO. We do have considerable resiliency given the regulatory and long-term contracted nature of our earnings. In 2019, 95% of Canadian utilities' adjusted earnings came from the regulated utilities. This creates greater predictability in our earnings and cash flows. But the long-term impact on Canadian utilities cannot be fully determined until the depth and length of the current economic slowdown is known. Earlier this month, we were awarded funding from the Emission Reductions Alberta Natural Gas Challenge to advance the first-of-its-kind hydrogen blending project in Fort Saskatchewan. Once complete, this project will allow us to inject up to 5% hydrogen into the residential gas distribution network, lowering the carbon intensity for our customers. Now, in 2019, we also opened our Clean Energy Innovation Hub in Perth, Australia. This industry-leading test facility is a testbed for hybrid energy solutions and integrates natural gas, solar, battery storage, and clean hydrogen production. Those are just two examples of our ongoing transformational journey to prepare our company for the future. And now, I'll turn the call over to Dennis for his comments on our financial performance. Thanks, Siegfried, and good morning, everybody. Canadian utilities achieved adjusted earnings of $94 million in the second quarter of 2020, compared to $126 million in the second quarter of 2019. Lower earnings this quarter were mainly due to the sale of the Canadian electricity generation business in the third quarter of 2019 and the sale of Alberta Powerline in the fourth quarter of 2019. These businesses contributed $17 million in adjusted earnings in the second quarter of last year. Lower earnings were also due to $15 million in prior period adjusted earnings from electricity and natural gas transmission regulatory decisions that were received in the second quarter of 2019. Excluding the foregone earnings impact from the 2019 business sales and retroactive earnings impacts from the regulatory decisions received in the second quarter of 2019, Canadian utilities' earnings in the second quarter of 2020 were comparable to last year's second quarter earnings. As Siegfried noted, the COVID-19 pandemic, oil price decline, and slowing global economic activity did not have a material impact on Canadian utilities' adjusted earnings in the first six months of 2020. Perhaps the largest single impact was felt in our natural gas distribution utility in Australia, 
where the financial results included the adverse impact of a lower inflation rate in the second quarter, which came hand-in-hand with the global pandemic. Overall, our businesses continue to perform well and generate strong earnings and cash flows. Regarding developments on the regulatory front, in March, the Alberta Utilities Commission, or AUC, suspended the 2021 generic cost of capital proceeding due to the COVID pandemic. The main focus of the proceeding is to determine the return on equity, or ROE, for 2021 and 2022. The AUC acknowledged that the delayed proceeding creates uncertainty regarding the utility's ROE for 2021 and beyond. The AUC therefore provided utilities with a number of options for setting their return on equity for 2021. In order to create some level of certainty, we elected to have the ROE continued at the current 8.5% with 37% equity thickness until an AUC decision is issued. Once the AUC issues its decision, the ROE and equity thickness will be implemented on a go-forward basis and will be effective at the start of the quarter following the date of the AUC decision. Finally, I'm pleased to inform you that on July 20th, DBRS affirmed its A-high long-term corporate credit rating and stable outlook on Canadian Utilities subsidiary CU Inc. Credit ratings are important to our financing costs and ability to raise funds. We intend to maintain strong investment-grade credit ratings in order to provide efficient and cost-effective access to funds required for operations and growth. That concludes our prepared remarks, and I'll now turn the call back over to Miles. Thank you, Addison Siegfried, and I'll turn the call over to the conference coordinator now for questions. Thank you. We will now begin the question and answer session. In the interest of time, we ask you to limit yourself to two questions. If you have additional questions, you are welcome to rejoin the queue. To join the question queue, you may press star then one on your telephone keypad. You will hear a tone acknowledging your request. If you are using a speakerphone, please pick up your handset before pressing any keys. To withdraw your uh, to withdraw from the question queue, please press star then two. Webcast participants are welcome to click on the Submit Question tab near the top of the webcast frame and type their question. The Canadian Utilities Investor Relations team will follow up with you by email after the call. Once again, anyone on the conference call who wishes to ask a question may press star 1 at this time. The first question comes from Maurice Choi with RBC Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Thank you and good morning. Uh, my first question is on capital deployment opportunities um, and the pipeline within those opportunities. Um, obviously, you now have the NTAB in your toolbox and you're obviously reviewing your capital investment plan, at least for 2020. Um, can you discuss those opportunities, um, how those packing order um, now looks like? Has there been a shift uh, away from deployment of capital uh, probably towards buybacks or keeping the cash on your balance sheet. Hi, Maurice. Um, thanks very much for your question. This is Dennis. Um, yeah, we we did file an NCIB with um, uh, with the exchange. the The primary purpose for that NCIB will be to offset uh, dilution uh, arising from stock options. Uh, at the mo- at the moment, we don't see um, uh, a compelling need to um, buy back um, many shares at all. Our focus right now is on maintaining uh, liquidity and optionality in light of the current circumstances. Um, I think everyone realizes we're we're not out of the woods yet on on COVID. And I'm sorry, Maurice, you're you're breaking up on our end of the of the line here, and I couldn't quite hear your entire question. I apologize if I didn't uh, didn't hit everything. I, I guess it's a full up and clarification. So I, I guess if you look at the next say six to twelve months, as the uh, economy slowly emerges out of COVID nineteen, we should expect 
directionally that the cash will probably stay on the balance sheet for the time being? Uh, right now, th- those are our plans, Maurice. I mean, we, we continue to look for for other opportunities. I think as uh, as most of you or all of you are aware, the the activity has uh, slowed down greatly over the last six months. Um, we continue to to monitor the situation and will respond accordingly. Thank you. And, and, and the second question relates to Puerto Rico and the Luma contract. Um, given um, the continuing news headlines on COVID cases in Puerto Rico, um, how does COVID-19, um, as, as the um, pandemic continues, uh, play towards the transition from, say, the $60 million transition fee period into the 70 to 90 million year one, year two contract period. And specifically, if, if there's a delay in this transition due to COVID-19, uh, thereby not allowing you to transition within a 10 to 12 month period, um, how does this all get factored in? Um, sure, Maurice, maybe, maybe I'll start and then Siegfried can, can chime in if, uh, if required. We, um, as part of the, part of the bid, we provided comprehensive plans going forward as to what we would be doing during this front-end transmission period. COVID is impacting operations, of course. Uh, I did speak with um, Wayne Stensby, the CEO from Luma, this morning. We have about 60 people on island right now kind of implementing those plans that that we developed. Um, There is... those guys especially have become extremely proficient on the Microsoft Teams or Zooms or whatever um, in order to, to keep progressing. So we're, we're on island. We do have the plans, and we're executing those plans um, as, as we speak. But from my perspective, um, we're still looking good for uh, achieving uh, an exit from that front-end transition period. Although it's early days, we've only been uh, been in it for a month. But I don't know, Siegfried, if there's anything you'd like to add. No, I, I, th- I think, uh, Dennis, that's exactly right. We've got our team on the ground. We are supplementing it with work from afar. Um, and, and at the moment, uh, those teams are being able to access um, the PREPA employees, either directly on site at their offices or through teams. So at the moment, we're not seeing a slowdown in the work uh, to advance the transition um, deliverables in order to be able to take over operations. I'll just remind everyone that the second key element of moving into full operations is the emergence of PREPA from bankruptcy. And and, um, as outlined in the agreement, there is a supplemental arrangement that would uh, allow us to advance our work in the event that uh, bankruptcy emergence isn't achieved um, and allow us to commence, albeit on a more limited basis, the operational uh, element. Um, But that would essentially just be for that interim period until they do emerge. Great, thank you very much. The next question comes from Linda Ezergailis with TD Securities, please go ahead. Thank you. Um, Recognizing that you're still assessing your capital expenditures for this year, never mind uh, beyond this year, I'm just wondering how your thinking has evolved since the first quarter call in terms of um, uh, your thoughts around uh, what might be deferred, what might be uh, delayed or shelved indefinitely, uh, and the bookends of, of, of potential outcomes in terms of magnitude on that front for the next few years. Thanks, Linda. I'll, um, I'll focus my reply on, on 2020. <clears throat> um, we're pretty much in the, the, the same situation as we were in Q1. Um, we're continuing to re- review our plans, and we're definitely not out of the woods yet on the pandemic. If you take a look at our first half of 2020, 
the capital spend compared to last year uh, after you normalize for uh, for the businesses that were that were sold in 2019 we are pretty much bang on those levels we're at about 450 million for the first half of this year versus last year of 440 million dollars and I'm going to say the only major project or the largest project that we've executed over the, the past uh, 12 to 18 months is the Pembina to Keep Hills uh, pipeline transmission line. Um, in, the, in the first half of 2020, we've incurred expenditures of about $50 million, which is about double over that same time period last year. Um, as you're uh, likely recall, that that project really ramped up in the back half of 2019, um, where the majority of those uh, expenditures were were incurred. You know, we continue to see uh, good activity on the on our electricity distribution front with customers um, continuing to uh, apply for and get hooked up with service. So that is, um, that hung in there, I'm going to say, over the, over the second quarter. And we're, uh, we're very carefully monitoring that to see how that progresses over the, over the next six months. That's, that's about all I can, can tell you, Linda. And we're, we're going through our, our plans for 2021 and beyond, and we'll be presenting those plans to to our board in um, in the fourth quarter here for approval, and we'll we'll come out in 2000 or in our year-end MDNA. Um, we'll be able to give you a better idea as to where we are going forward at that point in time. Thank you. That's helpful context. Um, maybe uh, as my second question. Um, I'm wondering, having seen uh, the filing for the uh, your natural gas uh, transmission uh, GRA in June for the period of 2021 to 2023, um, what do you view as being kind of the most important elements, and, and can you talk about um, the range of, of possible outcomes um, on that front and, and uh, um, how it might uh, evolve versus your prior uh, GRA? When I'm asked about the range, I, I, my immediate reply is, well, they never approve more than what you file for. So at, <laughs> at, the, at the top end, we would uh, we would get absolutely everything in the uh, in the application, and that uh, I'll, I'll say uh, rarely occurs. I hope the regulator isn't listening. Um, in, in terms of the the most important impact, the rates that were filed in that application are relatively flat. The biggest impact is from the, I'll say the, the Pembina to Keep Hills um, increase in, in, in rate base. So as the, as the prudence of those costs get tested, um, that, will, that will drive the, the majority of, that, of, the, of the impact. Or uh, knock on wood, we have not uh, realized any material disallowance from any of the prudence of the execution of our capital programs um, to date. Uh, there's always that possibility, but we're, um, we're, we're going in pretty confident with the execution of that project over, over the timelines. That's helpful context. I'll jump back in the queue. Thank you, Linda. The next question comes from Mark Jarvis with CIBC Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Uh, good morning, everyone. Um, maybe, maybe we'll start with, uh, maybe eventually we'll get back to the GCOC, but just curious in, in your mindset as, as you think about that resuming um, sort of second phase of PBR now, and would you ever envisage moving to cost of service? And if, if that's something you think that might happen, how, how do you think that goes into the proceedings and the discussion around the allowed ROE going forward. Good morning, Mark. Thanks for the question. The generic cost of capital is uh, is looking at the the returns for 2021 and 2022, 
and the the end of that GCOC kind of time period also aligns with the end of uh, PBR2. That five-year period ends in 2022. I think when we went into PBR and PBR1, there wasn't any change in the in the returns or the capital structure moving from a cost of service regime to the the, the PBR time set. So given that, uh, I think just moving from a PBR2 into a PBR3, if there is one, or moving from PBR2 into a cost of service regime, as we sit right now, I wouldn't expect that to have a major impact on the business risk and the way Alberta has been adjusting for business risk is through the equity thickness um, and then taking the, uh, the the market's view on the return on equity. So, so I don't really see that next stage of regulation for our uh, distribution utilities here in Alberta to impact the next GCOC or uh, whatever processes are raised at that time to determine returns and equity thickness. That makes sense. And then um, sounds like you're a bit on hold on maybe deploying the capital um, sitting on the, on the balance sheet. Um, but as, as you think forward and maybe re-engage, is there a preference um, for electric over gas infrastructure for you guys now, or are you sort of agnostic and it's just sort of the best opportunity and the best returns or is it whether you've seen things like gas moratorium in the U.S. or electrification trends? Is, is that coming into your thinking at all right now in terms of where you would prioritize your efforts going forward? Um, yeah, we we look at uh, you know electricity, uh, we'll say versus gas. I mean, it comes it comes down to energy. If you, you believe in the electrification of um, kind of the expanding electrification of our our world there would presumably be more of a demand on the uh, electricity side we are say relatively balanced right right now we've got a large investment in uh, electricity transmission um, here in alberta um, we we weigh those factors um, we, we may not be going after more um, call it uh, uh, natural gas in a low load environment, similar to what we have in in Perth. Um, in terms of uh, heating content, it's uh, it's pretty integral for uh, cold weather climates here in uh, here in Alberta to have that um, natural gas as a as a fuel for energy in order to in order to Heat, heat our homes and, and businesses. The cost to uh, replace the, the gas system with an electrification of that would um, be enormous and uh, kind of not in the, uh, in, the, in the near or medium term in my view. So you know, I, I think gas is still around for, for a while. Yeah. All right, I and then move. Yeah, go ahead. You know, I, I think the energy landscape is clearly evolving around the world, and there is a, um, a desire to move to non-hydrocarbon forms of energy. And so electricity, depending on how it's generated, is clearly a, a clean form of energy at the consumption point. The, um, and as such, I think that would be something that we would certainly look at for future investment uh, on a preferable book preferable basis to additional hydrocarbons. The challenge is that natural gas is, is a fuel. Electricity is manufactured energy. And how you manufacture it is really a challenge around the world. And, and whilst we have some emerging um, forms of non-hydrocarbon electricity manufacture, solar, wind, etc., the um, the challenge will be how, how do you meet the needs of the energy demand uh, 
on an exclusive basis if hydrocarbons are not a part of that. And, and you know, I, I agree with Dennis. In colder climates, the natural gas fuel is an integral part of meeting the energy demands uh, here in Canada. Uh, but as as we look across the world, clearly emerging trends are to see more energy investments happening in the non-hydrocarbon space. Okay, that makes sense. And then maybe last question, maybe for Dennis, just to get into a little bit of the uh, electric utility results and a little bit of a step up in O&M this year versus last year. Any details in terms of whether or not that fell more at the distribution or the transmission and whether or not that's just timing related or if, or if there are some incremental costs that have been coming in uh, over the last couple quarters? I'm just looking at my uh, handy-dandy cheat sheet here, Mark. Um, there isn't there isn't anything that uh, that that jumps out on the O and M uh, or op operating costs or controllable costs. The um, the bus businesses are continuing their focus on uh, increasing the efficiencies. Any uh, any any bumps? There's there's always timings that we timing of costs that we see from uh, uh, quarter to quarter as we as we progress through the years <clears throat> but uh, the the teams in the in the utilities uh, really have their uh, their eyeballs on their uh, efficient operations and are continuing to drive that total cost down uh, as much as possible any any blips in, in there would uh, would likely be timing. Okay, that's helpful. Thanks. Those are all my questions. The next question comes from Patrick Kenny with National Bank Financial. Please go ahead. Hey, good morning, guys. Um, Dennis, are you able to quantify the or what the demand destruction looked like in the quarter for your CNI customers? I guess within electric distribution. Um, and what the financial impact was there. I agree with your statement that we're far out of the woods, far from out of the woods, but um, you know, with oil prices recovering somewhat, production levels as well, are you starting to see more normalized demand levels across the, uh, the distribution utilities, at least over the past 30 days or so? I guess how far off are we today from, from pre-COVID levels? Um, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll give you the straight answer first and then tell, tell a story. Um, for the first six months, uh, electricity distribution is down about $2 million after tax from commercial and industrial, um, commercial industrial customers. The, um, the, the ISO on their website, they, they show what the impact to the Alberta load has been like, you know, as a result of COVID. And up to the beginning of June, the the load in the province dropped by about 8% versus their uh, kind of their normalized benchmark of, of February. The Fort McMurray area uh, has dropped about 13%. So quite a, quite a, quite a more of a drop. And in the central east part of the province where there's still heavy oil and a lot of services, that's dropped by 20%. Um, and I haven't seen an update from the ISO as to where the, the loads have been, been coming back. But, but since May, they've said that the, the, the overall system load, not load from behind the fence for the major industrials, the system load has been a slight uptick since May. So if that continues, I would suspect that we would you know, have the worst behind us, um, and to, uh, to to the impact on electricity distribution, it's not material. Um, so you know, when we say you know, COVID's not material, there are there are impacts you know throughout uh, throughout all of our businesses, but on the uh, electricity distribution side, it's two million dollars for the first half of the year. Okay, that's great. Um, and then on the residential front, I guess with respect to the utility bill deferral program, 
looks like there wasn't a material impact there as well on earnings um, through Q2. I'm just wondering if you can confirm that you don't expect any lag, you know, um, any impact on, say, Q3 or Q4 cash flows. Um, and if so, how any shortfall there might be recovered in, in future rate filings. Yeah, when when the province announced that utility bill deferral in mid-March, I, I, all of the details were not ironed out. As they as they were flushed out, a lot of the backstop from those bills were taken on by other agencies and departments, whether it's the the ISO loan or loans, what have you. The amount that did come back to the utilities related to uh, the natural gas transmission component of our distribution charges, um, and I, I think the the upward end of our estimate would have been in a, a potential impact to cash flows of about $30 million. And that would have delayed cash flows from that one-month deferral over the following 12 months uh, into recollection. Our estimate was of the potential impact. Well, I'll say potential impact. The real impact was a fraction of that amount. So... I'll say it's a it's a very small component of an immaterial amount that our that our cash flows are being impacted, and that would all that should all be trued up by um, the end of June next year, and no impact on adjusted earnings. Okay, that's perfect. Thanks for the color, Dennis. Thank you, Pat. Once again, if you have a question, please press star then one. Our next question comes from Andrew Kuski with Credit Suisse. Please go ahead. Thank you. Good morning. I think the first question is for Dennis, and that's probably a bit more on the technical regulatory front. And it just relates to your PBR mechanism. And if we look at just broadly in the economy, there's clearly been several deflationary pressures, and it's not just Canada, it's really globally. So if you think about the deflationary pressures and then you know the potential and the prospect for inflation in the future at maybe an elevated rate, how do you think about those dynamics as far as your PBR goes? Um, well, in terms of PBR2, we're kind of uh, locked in to, the, to the, their formula. They take a a little bit of a, a trailing view. So the inflation factor for 2021 is actually um, the inflation that's experienced from July 1 of 2019 to June 30th of 2020. And that's that same, a little bit of a, a lag on the inflation for PBR2 that was taken for PBR1. Um, it is consistent um, between the two generations. The inflation index that, that we have in, in PBR here is, is a mix between um, kind of labor dollars through the average weekly earnings index in Alberta. That represents 55% of the, of the overall inflation. And Alberta CPI is the remaining 45%. We haven't seen, a, we'll say, a, a material disconnect between the inflation rate that's being used for PBR as what we're seeing um, in our operations. We have in the past seen disconnects, you know, where the cost of contractors during the big build far exceeded what the, um, the kind of like the headline inflation rates were in the province. So you, you can get um, large disconnects uh, one of the disconnects that, that we see right now in Australia and their CPI is that childcare during the pandemic is down 95%, and that's contributing to a very low CPI. doesn't have a lot to do with the provision for uh, safe, reliable gas delivery. So there can be those large disconnects. But as long as that index uh, fairly reflects the, the ongoing impact to our operations, which it has, then I'll say we're, we're okay with it. 
um, the, the minute it does get to be disconnected, then we would be uh, looking to uh, fine-tune that formula such that it better reflects uh, the ongoing costs that we're experiencing in our companies. Okay, that's very helpful. I appreciate that that, that detail. And then maybe just a broader question um, as, a, as a second question, and it really relates to when you think about M&A and you've clearly gone through a bunch of efforts of decarbonization in, in a core CU utilities portfolio uh, and really pronounced in the last couple of years. So you think about that dynamic of decarbonization and sort of broader industry trends. If you were to see a rate regulated utility asset that had coal generation attached to it within a rate based construct, is that something that's worth exploring? And is it really worth exploring at the first instance, or is it exploring from a decarbonization prospect? I know it's all hypothetical, but I'm just curious as to how you think about that dynamic. Um, thanks, Andrew. Hypothetically, then we would hypothetically look at it. Um, one of the uh, one of the programs that that we had with our Canadian generation business is we were well advanced in the coal to gas conversions. So hypothetically, if there was a, um, a, a coal-fired integrated utility, or sorry, an integrated utility with coal-fired generation, and there was an avenue to decarbonize it, um, you know, we, would, uh, we would take a look at it. I, I, again, that, that's, that's one factor out of many that would need to be considered in in any kind of uh, M&A targets that we would be looking at as we you know continue to look for uh, geographic diversification um, out of Alberta. Um, Siegfried alluded to earlier the decarbonization uh, into the renewable energy. So uh, I'll say every, everything's on the on the table before it goes through our uh, our filters to, to see if it ticks all the boxes or not. Very great. I appreciate the, uh, the, the response to the hypothetical question. <laughs> our next question comes from Elias Foskolos with Industrial Alliance Securities. Please go ahead. Uh, good morning, and thanks for taking my question. Uh, I want to focus on the balance sheet because I see that as the, sort of the biggest uh, optionality. Uh, in focusing in uh, Puerto Rico, uh, yeah, I, I see the current contract as, as sort of uh, optionality to to get into, um, you know, uh, expanding sort of the power asset base. And, and the reason I'm I'm focused on that, and, and please confirm it's true or not is that I believe in the bid process, um, the Luma joint venture was interested in uh, providing some sort of debt financing. Would that be sort of a correct interpretation or incorrect interpretation? Sorry, could you uh, repeat or rephrase the question? Um, okay. Luma's, so, Luma's going in without any uh, capital requirements. It's a 15-year you know, O&M agreement whereby there is no change in the ownership of the assets. There's no capital infusion required by the, the parents, um, nor, nor Luma. They're in line for uh, significant funding from FEMA in order to help rebuild and, uh, and fund the modernization of their uh, electricity system. So if, if I missed anything in the, in the question, maybe you could uh, come back with a supplemental. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, uh, I do believe in the bid process, there was uh, a criteria that wasn't weighed on uh, debt financing. So I'm asking, uh, is the balance sheet potentially saved for that, or is that completely not something to even uh, to, you know, look at? That was, excuse me. That was considered early early on in the process. It's been taken off the table, and as a result, there is no requirement for capital infusion under the current deal. Yeah, I might just I might just add, Dennis. I think 
part of the evaluation of the bidders was whether or not they knew how to structure a utility such that its debt financing would be um, seen attractive in the marketplace. And so I think it goes more to kind of rate setting, cost management, and, and uh, the go-forward positioning of, of the owner's balance sheet, if you will, to be able to be credit worthy. Okay, thanks for that clarification. And um, just, just again on the balance sheet and, and sort of the last question, as you talk about growth within the U.S. and, and Latin America, does this investment encompass both of those or just is it in the Latin America bucket as you look at it? In other words, should I, should I keep my eyes out on the U.S.? Yeah, it's uh, Latin America embedded in the U.S. <laughs> so, okay. I mean, we'll leave for, it at that. I mean for, for us, I mean, it, it really does, um, you know, check that diversification box as we're looking to get the earnings not, um, not as dependent on the Alberta resource-based economy. Alberta's um, making strides to diversify its economy. So as, as that progresses, that will, that will help us. But as we look um, into diversifying into higher growth markets, being the U.S. or LATAM, then, um, then, then Puerto Rico checks the box. Uh, in, internally, we've, uh, we've had it in both camps, but not at the same time. So Okay, I, I, I think that sort of clarifies in my mind what direction you can still go in. That's it for me. Thanks very much. Thank you. The next question comes from Mark Jarvie with CIBC Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Yeah, as we're getting near the end of the call, I just wanted to see if I could fit in that question on structures and logistics here. Um, pretty strong results this quarter. Just trying to understand as transitioning the LNG project from manufacturing to installation now, what happens to the earning and its profile and the margins, and then sort of expectations for that business as you go through the back half of the year, whether or not there's sort of a lag um, as some of these COVID impacts flow through and just makes commentary again from that LNG contract. Yeah, thanks. Um, thanks, Mark. The uh, right manufacturing kind of wound up in early Q2. We are continuing on with the uh, lower margin installation activities over the remainder of this year and spilling into 2021. Um, we've, uh, we've shown the, uh, the rental fleet stats in the MDNA, and you can see the, an increase in the um, global space rentals fleet. The utilization is hanging in there, which is which is great, and the uh, and the margins are uh, are increasing slightly. Our workforce housing um, units, there's been a, a small contraction of those units, which uh, which helps with the with the cash flows as we continue to ensure that the fleet is right sized for the for the markets that we operate in. And we've said in the past that, you know, absent any uh, major announcement for kind of large, uh, a large camps, a large workforce housing, is that, uh, you know, we would uh, recommend you looking at that uh, kind of base business to see what kind of earnings and cash flows that the that structures would contribute. But... With, you know, just taking those comments, but really nothing where you're seeing a, a lot of negative pressure, undue competition on pricing. Like it, it does feel like it's a pretty rational market right now, and um, absent the transition from manufacturing to installation, um, not seeing a lot of downward pressure on margins. Um, well, we've we've uh, we've shown that our average rental rate for our space rentals units is up 32% um, kind of year over year for the three months ended June 30th. And over the six months, it's up 5%. So 
Um, it, it depends on the, the, the markets in which you're operating and the construction activity largely that is driving those those rates. Okay. All right. Thanks, Dennis. Thank you, Mark. This concludes the question and answer session. I would like to turn the conference back over to Mr. Miles Dugan for any closing remarks. Thanks, Anastasia, and thank you all for participating today. We appreciate your interest in Canadian utilities, and we look forward to speaking with you again soon. This concludes today's conference call. You may disconnect your lines. Thank you for participating, and have a pleasant day. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.